Be seated. Almost 2,000 years ago, there was a small group of people who believed in and followed a man called Jesus. They expressed their love and devotion by giving up their homes and jobs, leaving their families and careers to follow this traveling teacher. For three years, they participated in Jesus' teaching and his healing ministry, leaving nothing to constantly going on the go, rubbing shoulders with a massive humanity. Then something happened. Overnight, everything changed. Their dreams turned into nightmares. Their worst fears could not match what happened. Their loving, kind, compassionate teacher had been arrested, put on trial, and sentenced to death all in one day's time. It seemed as if everything had spun out of control. What was God doing? Where was God anyway? Is there a God? These followers only knew what they could see and touch. They were no different than, than you and me. They had found someone they trusted, someone they believed in, someone that had earned their loyalty. But now, he was gone. These people were shaken to the very core. They experienced an incredible loss. And now they were asking tough questions, questions no one seemed to be able to answer. Why? Why? This morning, I would like to join two of these people, two men or a man and a woman, walking on a road asking tough questions when Jesus shows up. I'd like to join them as we turn to Luke 24, the Gospel of Luke, the 24th chapter. It's on page 859 in the Bible in the rack in front of you if you want to follow in the book there. Page 859, also be on the screen. Luke 24, starting with verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. We're in a series entitled Love Story in a World at War. And we see examples of the war that our world is in all over the world, especially in Europe this past week. This day that they, these guys were in was the day of the resurrection. These two were in mourning, mourning the death of their leader. They were trying to make sense of the senseless. 
And there are many ways that we can identify with these two. We're going to look at five ways to identify with these two people, these two guys on the road. Five facts from the road. The first fact is that each of us are on a journey. Each of us are on a journey. These two were on a road outside Jerusalem heading towards a village called Emmaus. It was a seven-mile walk, just a walk. It was a physical journey, first of all. A point in their life simply moving from point A to point B. There's nothing remarkable. They were just walking. All of us are also on a road somewhere. We're on a physical journey going through life, moving from point A to point B. We're going somewhere in our life. If you, if you look at your past, where you started, where you came from, your background, when I talk to people here in this congregation or I talk to people from Eau Claire, I ask them about their background, find out where they're from and where they were raised and what they're, where they were. Everybody has a past background. It's different. Where you went to school, the jobs that you held, the relationships you had, maybe marriage or children or grandchildren. Probably unique, but nothing exactly remarkable. Then there's the present. We move into the present. Where are you today? What does your life consist of, your physical life? All of us live in a physical world with a physical existence. And then there's our future, our future. Where do you plan to go from here? What do you plan to do? Who do you plan to become? The, the physical part of our journey is the easiest to identify. It's what we can see. It's what we can touch. It has to do with things that we can actually remember. And just like these two on the road to Emmaus, we can tell where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. But there's another dimension to our journey, a far more important dimension to our journey. It's the spiritual journey, the spiritual journey. See, Jesus had come to reveal God. He had come to help people establish a relationship with God. It was Jesus who had put people on this spiritual journey. This was a lifetime of getting to know this previously unknown God, the invisible, the ethereal, the abstract power. A previously unknown person now being made to known personally. Jesus gave God a face. Gave him a face. Through Jesus, God became knowable to everyone. Jesus said, if you knew me, you would know my Father also. He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He said, I and my Father are one. And the Bible says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. But now, Jesus was gone. He was gone. Or was he? Was he gone? You and I, all of us, we are on a spiritual journey. As beings with body, soul, and spirit, we have more than just the physical body that we can see. We live in more than just a physical dimension. Most could be described as spiritually seeking people, looking for meaning in life that goes far beyond the observable, the quantifiable, and the physical. Like these two on the road, we experience similar feelings, hopes and dreams shattered, plans destroyed, sudden changes that throw us in turmoil, expectations ending, or perhaps just a lost sense of direction, a vague sense of emptiness, a sense of purposelessness, something we counted on is gone. Our, our physical journeys and our spiritual journeys are intertwined together. And in our journeys, we experience many different things. Well, while on this journey, physical and spiritual, the second fact is that sooner or later, Jesus shows up. 
Sooner or later, later, Jesus shows up. At some point, he met them here on the road, and at some point in our life journey, we are confronted with a person of Jesus Christ. He joins us on the road. Some of us came into contact with Jesus years ago. Maybe it was in Sunday school that you first heard about Jesus as a child. Maybe a grandparent talked about Jesus or read Bible stories to you. Maybe as a teenager, you met Jesus in high school. It seemed like that was a time you had a lot more faith than you do today. Or more recently, Jesus may have placed himself in your path with a conversation or an event, or maybe it was a movie that you saw. Today may be the first time in many years or months that you have thought about this person, Jesus. Typically, there are questions. These two men had questions. Jesus asked them questions. What are you discussing? What are these things? What's up? What's going on? For us, the questions have to do with recognition. Do we recognize that God is intersecting with us or speaking to us? Do we recognize Jesus shows up in our life? Do we recognize Jesus showing up in our life? He speaks through circumstances or a new awareness of an emptiness or need. Maybe a lack of direction or some need that we have. For some, everything's going so well. Maybe Jesus has something to do with your success and you're feeling good about Jesus in your life with success. For others, there's something that Jesus uses to get our attention, some kind of life circumstance. Maybe it's a positive circumstance. You have a brand new baby. Or maybe you had a near miss or accident. It was a negative experience. Maybe Jesus shows up at those quiet times of solitude, up early in the morning watching the sunrise, sitting on the deck with a cup of coffee. Maybe on the top of a hiking trail overlooking the mountains. Or camping in the wilderness looking up at the stars at night. Sitting on the beach watching the ocean waves come in. God gently speaking to you of his love and his reality. There's more to life than you're experiencing. In Romans 20 it talks about how God speaks through nature in many ways. It says, for the, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. God speaking, God intersecting with us, Jesus speaking to us through nature. Maybe Jesus has been speaking to you through another human being, a friend, a family member, an acquaintance. Many, like the two in our story, fail to recognize that it's Jesus speaking to them. And the second question of Jesus has to do with something called expectations. Expectations. If it is Jesus, what do we expect from Jesus? What do we expect from God? We all view truth through our own experience. And the two people in our story... Their view of truth and expectations is said, we were following this great leader. Our religious leaders had him executed. He was supposed to be our political savior, our redeemer. He was supposed to take over and kick out the occupying Romans and set up this Jewish state. It was their set of expectations. What are your expectations of God? We all have expectations of God. Expectations of our school years, expectations of graduation from high school. College expectations, graduate school expectations, first job expectations, marriage expectations, career, children, emptiness, grandchildren, retirement, all have expectations of life, expectations of God. These two on the road had expectations, as we do. But God 
God had a different plan. God had a better plan. It was going to cost. It was going to cost. And he, God, was going to pay the cost. Number three, Jesus reveals God's plan. Verse 25, it says, How foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with the Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What is that all about? What is that all about? Well, the Apostle Paul preached a sermon in the book of Acts, in Acts 13, and he explains it, and I I wanted to put this in the New Living Translation, NLT. Explains the, the plan to the Jewish people in this sermon. He says this, Brothers, you were sons of Abraham, and also all of you devout Gentiles who fear the God of Israel. This salvation is for us. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders fulfilled prophecy by condemning Jesus to death. They didn't recognize him or realize that he is the one the prophets had written about, though they hear the prophet's word read every Sabbath. They found no just cause to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. When they had fulfilled all the prophecies concerning his death, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He appeared over a period of many days to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. These are his witnesses to the people of Israel. Brothers, listen. In this man Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is freed from all guilt and declared right with God, something the Jewish law never could do. See, God had a plan. If you've never seen a movie like or the movie Passion of the Christ, go see it. Rent it. That was God's plan. These two on the road of Emmaus thought they knew what God's plan was. They certainly knew what he should do or what they thought he should do. But God had a different idea, and it involved the sacrifice of God, a cost. Back in the days of the Great Depression, a Missouri man named John Griffith was the controller of, the, of a great railroad bridge, drawbridge that went across the Mississippi River. And one day in the summer of 1937, he decided to take his eight-year-old son Greg with him to work. At noon, John put the bridge up to allow ships to pass, and then he sat on the observation deck with his son to eat lunch. Time passed quickly, and suddenly he was startled by the shrieking of a train whistle in the distance. He looked at his watch and noticed it was 107. The Memphis Express with 400 passengers on board was roaring straight toward the raised bridge. He leaped from the observation deck and ran back to the control tower. Just before throwing the master switch, he glanced down for any ships below to make sure he didn't bring the bridge down on ships. There a sight caught his eye that caused his heart to leap into his throat. His son, Greg, had slipped from the observation deck and fallen into the massive gears that operated the bridge. His left leg was caught in the cogs of the two main gears. For one agonizing moment, an eternity as time stood still, John froze at the controls. He knew his choices, an eternity. He could save his son, his only son, or lower the bridge, crushing the life out of his son, saving the lives of 400 people he didn't even know. In an instant, 
The man's mind flashed back to his son's birth and how he helped him be born. He remembered rocking him to sleep. He, he remembered the long hours and sleepless nights putting cold rags on a fevered brow to see him recover from near death. He remembered his son who ran to him laughing and giggling, throwing himself into his arms as he arrived home from work. Again, with alarming closeness, the train whistle shrieked in the air. John could now hear the clicking of the locomotive wheels over the tracks. The old man's love was greater than that for just his son. It was greater than his love for his wife. It was greater than his love for himself. His love prevailed. His mind was made up. With tears streaming down his face, he threw the switch that would bring the bridge down, saving the lives of 400 people, but crushing the life out of his son. The sound of the train clattering across the bridge drowned out his son's screams as the father turned his back and sobbed uncontrollably. And the train? The people on the train? In the passing windows, the father saw businessmen casually reading their afternoon papers, finely dressed ladies sipping tea in the dining car, children pushing long spoons into their dishes of ice cream, they all went home to crackling fires and warm beds and families and home-cooked meals as if nothing had ever happened. What's the cost? How much did it cost? It cost the life of an only son. God gave his only son and turned his back at the last moment, leaving Jesus to suffer and die alone for you and me. So we could live. That was God's plan. That's what God did. That's what Jesus came to do, is to pay the price. I want to, I want to show an illustration. There's us and there's God people, and God. And God wants to have a relationship with us. But we have rebelled against him and broken that relationship, and there's a separation, there's a wall, there's a gap between God and human beings. And to varying degrees, most of us are, are aware of our distance from God, so we've tried to do certain things like being a helpful neighbor, paying taxes, going to church, giving money to charities, all to kind of reach to get back to God. There's nothing wrong with doing these things, but the Bible makes it clear that none of them can earn us God's forgiveness or reestablish our relationship with him. Furthermore, the sins we've committed must be punished, and the penalty we owe is death, which is physical death as well as spiritual separation from God. The picture looks bleak, but the good news is that we matter to God. You matter to God so much that he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He provided a bridge over which we can find his forgiveness and restore our relationship with him. He did that by coming to earth as one of us dying on the cross to pay the penalty that we owe. Now, many people know these facts, but it's not enough to just know this. We have to act on it by admitting that we have rebelled against God and that we want his forgiveness and his leadership. 
then we can take steps to cross over into relationship with God. What's the cost? What was the cost? In verse 26 it said, Jesus had to suffer these things. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is God's plan. Now, how do we know this is true? Because of Easter. Because of Easter. The fourth fact from the road, Jesus' resurrection validates his claims. Jesus' resurrection validates his claims. Verses 28 to 36, moving on in our story. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem where they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened to them on their way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Jesus was raised from the dead and proved he's God, that his sacrifice was accepted by God, and he's alive today. You know, you can visit the tombs of every, every founder of every religion. You can visit all of their tombs. The fact that they are dead and buried and still there makes no difference to their religion. Whether it's Hinduism or Buddhism or Shintoism or Mohammedanism or the Muslim faith, it doesn't matter. They're in the tomb and they celebrate and they visit the tomb of their founder. Jesus' tomb is empty. You see, all religions are not the same. Christianity rises or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Many witnesses saw him. Many died deaths of martyrs claiming he was alive. The two people in our story had their eyes open. They suddenly recognized. They saw the truth. Ah, truth. The fifth, fifth fact from the road is truth calls for a response. There are really only two choices when confronted by truth. In this story, we're all on this journey. Jesus shows up, reveals his plan. His resurrection happens. The question is, what is your response? Believe or not believe? Believe or unbelief? Unbelief is a rejection of truth presented. Rejecting the claims of Jesus, rejecting God's plan to save us, and its reliance on ourselves for our eternal destiny and our destination. Belief is acceptance of the truth, the claims of Jesus, acceptance of his plan to save us, and reliance on God, not ourselves, for our eternal destiny or destination. Belief calls for action. 
Belief is placing our trust in Jesus, accepting he's God. He died for my sins personally and accepting his sacrifice for my sins, for your sins. Belief is more than intellectual assent to a set of propositions. It's an action of placing our trust in a person, Jesus Christ. What's the cost? It costs Jesus his life. What's the cost for, for us? Nothing. It's already paid for. All there is is for me to accept that as a gift, for you to accept it as a gift. Now, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey today. God knows. And God wants to give you his gift of Jesus for eternal life. The question is, will you accept his free gift? 1 John 5 says, and this is the testimony, God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That is the ultimate message of Easter. The good news that we can know that we live forever because Jesus died and came back to life again. Now, if you want to place your trust, if you want to believe in this Jesus today, you can do it right now through a simple prayer. Prayer is just talking with God and it's just saying this to God. And here's a prayer. And I'm going to read it aloud. If, you, if this expresses what you desire, you say it silently as I say it aloud. Lord Jesus, I need you. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead and are alive today. Forgive my sins. Take charge of my life today. Make me what you want me to be. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, for the first time or the tenth time, just to make sure that you really have Jesus in your life, I'm going to ask you to do something. First, I'm going to ask you to Take the bulletin you have. There's a, a, a website, ecwesleyan.net backslash next. There's a downloadable book that will explain some of what just happened and give some information about that. It's in the bulletin, and you can access that online. The other thing I want, you, want to ask you to do, we're going to, in just a moment, we're going to all take the connection card that you had that we are saving for now and take that out. You can put, your, you can put as much information as you're comfortable with. We use that for... For prayer requests, we use it for uh, knowing who's coming and going, address changes and email changes, etc. contact information. And if you want to be contacted or you want us to have information, fill that out. And if you prayed this prayer to receive Jesus today, just put an X on the upper right-hand corner on page one. Just put an X up there. Just put an X and say, I prayed this prayer to receive Jesus today. And I want us to pray now. The ushers are on their way. We're going to receive these, the connection cards now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God that loves us, that the resurrection is real, that you are alive, and that you desire that relationship. And I pray, Lord, today that you'll confirm in the lives and hearts of people that they 
have asked you to come into their life and that you answered. And so we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You are condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You are condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Please stand with us. With Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You are condemned. I'm alive and well spirit is within me because you died and rose again amazing love how can it be that you my king would die for me amazing love I know true and it's my joy to honor you 